Good evening. You're listening to the Yena podcast. Today is the 5th of October and joining me this evening, I have Bronwyn. Howdy ho. Mark. Hi. And a special guest, Tim. Hello. And so how are we all doing? Surviving. <laughs> oh, thriving. Oh. I think. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So shall we just dive right into this? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I think you and I have um, have a little argument to have first. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so we can have a pedantic grammar argument. Yeah, yeah. Wait, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that my capitalization and the slogan of this podcast, was it the official podcast of the New Zealand Skeptics? And I capitalized podcast and New Zealand and skeptics. I think that's perfectly cromulent, is it not? <laughs> you seem to think it's it, it should be like more capitalized or less capitalized, but not just that, right? Well, I don't think that the word podcast should be capitalized. But because... Because you're saying official podcast. So that's one concept in itself. So the official podcast should be lowercase and the only capital capitalized part should be New Zealand skeptics. But I've capitalized like the nouns, right? So podcast and New Zealand skeptics are things. So I've capitalized those because they're important. An official doesn't need to be capitalized. It doesn't matter that much. <laughs> I don't think you can just willy-nilly capitalize nouns or capitalize well, it, because title you think case. they're important. It's title case, it, isn't it? it? It is kind of title case, but I think Craig's arguing then, that in proper title case, officials should also be capitalized. Yes. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, it should yeah. be. And, and then he and, accused me this afternoon of being like Trump. Yes, because he, he randomly said, oh, capitalizes words that he thinks are <laughs> important. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I I was unsure about this one. I just felt like this was some kind of logical fallacy, accusing me of being like Trump because of my capitalization. Indeed, yes, and uh, and so I think I, I said that uh, uh, it's kind of Godwin's law updated for the twenty first century, isn't it? It's like uh, you have to mention Nazis and Hitler and uh, in an internet conversation, and that's uh, Godwin's law being enacted. Yeah, well, if, if we take this, because I think it was guilt by association, but uh, if we take it as a Godwin's law, in, in that case, you lose the argument, right? You were the first one to mention Trump, therefore I win. So I'm <laughs> I'm happy with that, to be quite honest. Uh, I'm not sure that Godwin's law actually says that the that mentioning Nazis and Hitler therefore means you've actually lost the argument. But uh, I think it I does. Isn't that the point of it? Point. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's the way it's stated is that uh, the the longer an argument goes on, the higher the chance the uh, chances are that net Nazis and Hitler will be mentioned. Okay. <laughs> but, yes. But anyway, it's it's moot because you tell me that it's everywhere in that form, and it would be very difficult to change it. Yes, including, and this was the point of the conversation, um, the mugs that we're about to get printed. So um, for anybody that's hoping to come along to our conference next month, there will be uh, just a few mugs available with the podcast um, logo and slogan on with a capitalized podcast and a capitalized New Zealand <laughs> skeptics and not a capitalized official. So if you want one of those, I think we're only going to print 10. So get in early. 
Is this to avoid addition- a flood of people saying there are typos on your mugs just to get out of here <laughs> and, that and say, no, special that's deliberate. Special edition, Tim, special edition. <laughs> yeah. I might bring a Sharpie. I might bring a Sharpie so that I can either make the O a capital to be proper title case or make the P a small. And and for the record, Godwin's law, according to the internet, is known as Godwin's rule of Hitler analogies. It's a statement maintaining that if any online discussion continues long enough, some of them almost certainly compare someone else to Hitler. Oh, it doesn't I thought it was about. Say you've lost the argument. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm extending it. Honeychurch's um, amendment to Godwin's law is you've lost Cor- the argument you if you mention Hitler. Corollary, corollaries, aren't you? <laughs> Addendum? I don't know. Oh, I also meant to say a few minutes ago, thank you for saying moot point, not mute point. I, I was really happy to hear that. <laughs> I think I would kill myself if I said mute point. <laughs> All anyway. right, so is that is that the end of grammar time? It's the end of pedantic grammar time, yes. <laughs> Yay! It's my favourite time of the podcast. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Mark, I understand that uh, you've been having fantasies about shoving things up your butt playing chess. <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it. And I was thinking of giving people a nice little lead in and warning them that, you know, this segment is going to contain sexual content. But no, you you just launched straight into that, didn't you? <laughs> anyway, carry on. Um, yes. So, so serious ish note. I don't know whether people do get squeamish about this, but some people might be listening to this around children. And, um, this is, this conversation is about to get into the topic of sex toys in a weird way. Um, so (laughs) you might want to, uh, listen to this alone, not with kids around. Um, but yes, my, the article I wrote last week, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I found out about it at our Skeptics in the Pub meeting. Alexander, who we've had on the podcast a couple of times, relayed this story to me um, that there was a chess match just a few weeks ago between Magnus Carlsen, who seems to be accepted to be the best chess player in the world at the moment, and Hans Niemann, who's like a teenage upstart. I watched a a video just of like four minutes of him in rages. He seems to be quite an explosive teenager. Um, I think he's kind of new to the scene. And I think a lot of chess players don't know quite how to deal with this guy. Like I saw one journalist talking to him and he just, he didn't want to answer a question. So he just turned around and walked off and left the journalist standing there alone. Um, So he's a fascinating character, but when he was playing recently against Magnus Carlsen and widely expected to lose, um, it turns out that he started playing really well. And apparently during the match, it was obvious that Magnus thought that there was something going on um, and it looked like there were some suspicions of, you know, how is how is this upstart playing really well? And in the end, um, the best chess player in the world ended up having to concede the first game to um, the, the newcomer. And then eventually he just quit the whole tournament and everybody was surprised when Magnus Carlsen just basically... I think he might have been through a tweet or something, just said that he wasn't coming back again and and didn't finish the tournament. Um, and since then, there have been accusations of cheating. And there's been a lot of to and fro in the chess community trying to analyze uh, Hans Niemann's 
matches and how well he's played and what the percentages look like. And it, it's all getting very technical. But the bit that I focused on, which I absolutely loved, was the rumor that was just started by an offhand comment on Twitter. Nothing more than somebody having a bit of a laugh about how maybe Hans Niemann was being signaled remotely um, by some accomplice somewhere else who was using a chess engine, a good, good bit of chess software to recommend moves to him. And they, the suggestion was that this signaling was going on via the use of vibrating anal beads. Um, and <laughs> I, I like the idea that this would work, um, but I immediately started to have issues with it. And I took it more seriously than I probably should have done. Um, but in the article I go on, you know, the first thing I say is, well, it's not going to be anal beads. Anal beads are really slim and you can't really put much in the way of electronics in anal beads. I think if you do get vibrating anal beads, it's just a vibrator attached to the outside. Um, so it's much more likely that for this hypothesis that he would use a butt plug which is a more substantial device. Um, and it turns out that there are devices on the market that are remotely controllable. Um, but I looked into the different ways that you can remotely control them. So you either get like a little key fob with a custom frequency that it'll use, or you Bluetooth attach it to your phone. And those ones are quite cool because then a partner can control it from anywhere in the world which is pretty clever. So their app is uh, authorized to control your device. It sends a signal through the web, which ends up on your device. And then your device sends a signal to the Bluetooth device in your butt, which then vibrates to whatever frequency they've set it to. Um, and you can see how this would, you know, this would conceivably work for sending signals, Morse code or something like that. Um, and reading into chess cheating, you don't need to send signals that often. Apparently, most moves, a good chess player will know what they're doing. There are just certain points where it starts to get muddy, um, where there are like these key points where it's really hard to see where the match is going. And at those points, if you can have the advice of a chess program that's looking a lot of moves ahead, maybe 40, 50 more moves ahead, just a few decisive points can make a huge difference if you get good advice. So that's all conceivable. But then I looked into how the match was actually played out. And it turns out that this year there was no audience. So there was nobody close enough to be using a key fob or anything that could control locally. And every player is scanned on the way in. So they have one of those wand metal detectors. And so they did what looked like a fairly close search. In fact, I even found a video of Hans Niemann being scanned with this wand at the event. And it, it looked fairly thorough. I could understand how maybe somebody wouldn't scan close enough to someone's butt that you could get away with, with getting a device in. But then you've got the problem that because nobody else is allowed in the room, you've got to send a signal a long way. And I think that's pretty hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Craig, whether you know of any technology like LoRaWAN or something that might work better. But when it comes to kind of the commercially available technologies that butt plugs that I looked into use, it seems like none of them are really amenable to remote control from a long distance. No, I mean, the, what you described about the, the Bluetooth connecting uh, to the phone would would presumably be the way to do it. I mean, I guess if you're an Alan Trunk's genius, you might well be able to come up with some sort of uh, technology 
um, but actually miniaturizing it on a sort of a prototype basis to be able to fit inside that sort of devices sounds like quite a challenge. Uh, and then, yeah, given that there's nobody in the room, the, the only thing when I heard about the um, the case, I thought, well, maybe um, it's the the chess match was being uh, live streamed in real time, so um, p- people could be remotely on the internet putting the 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 state of play into a chess program and then seeing what it recommended and then somehow transmitting mm. that back to the player. Um, uh, and that, I thought that really the, 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 the easy solution for that would be to, to have some sort of delay of, of the, the real time um, live streaming of the, of the game. If they delayed it by a minute or two or whatever, or, or you only got to see it after the next move or something, then, then that would, uh, that would prevent Ooh. this from happening. That that's an interesting idea. Of course, sometimes it can be like you know quite a few minutes between moves in chess. So Indeed. maybe it'd be Indeed. a little bit yes. weird having that much delay, and it'd be a variable delay. So you'd need to make sure yep. the delay is at least as long as the longest chess move. But so the only solution I came out with that made sense would would have been that this guy could have got the Wi-Fi credentials in advance and gone to the venue beforehand and synced his vibrating butt plug to the venue Wi-Fi. And at that point, once it's connected to the venue Wi-Fi, as long as it's reliable Wi-Fi, somebody would be able to remotely control it. Um, But it seems like a lot of hassle for using technology in a way that I I think is just a great risk of not actually working. Um, And I, I think that somebody who's a chess genius would probably find a better way than a vibrating butt plug. A few years ago, I went to a talk at the Theosophical Society about crystals and using those to communicate. And the guy brought out a gigantic piece of quartz and he said that he could actually send messages to someone in Australia with it. So did you look into <laughs> whether quartz or something else could have been used, Mark? Because that would probably not trigger the metal detector, right? No, it wouldn't. And I mean, I, I'm guessing quartz would be an okay shape to put up your butt. Actually, well, I not think the one he showed us. That was massive. But. <laughs> I, I think if you, uh, if you put any sort of um, you know moisture or fluid that would be up the anal sphincter and um, have that exposed to quartz, that might poison you. Okay, yeah, well, hang on. Probably- <laughs> okay, so you you put it in a condom, but the other thing is, how big was it? <laughs> well, I only saw the transmitting one he had, and that was, you know. 30 centimeters and quite large, but I don't know what it, maybe it can communicate with smaller bits of crystal. So, but I mean, there used to be crystal radios was, it used to be a very popular, like homemade science project that you could do. Yeah. But yeah. it's not just a crystal. It's much more than just a crystal. Um, yeah. <laughs> some men can fit a lot up their butt, right? I was listening to a podcast a while ago where they were interviewing a man called the Gape Gatsby is his stage name. <laughs> this is escalated. And so much. Are we, are yeah, we, he can I, fit I, something. I, let's say without saying what he can fit, he can fit something the size of a foot up there. Um, so, you know, even a large crystal might be doable. But it would right. be difficult to cover that up while you're playing right. chess on the, and sitting down. <laughs> sitting down might become a problem, yes. So if somebody's but, playing chess standing, it's a good indicator that well, maybe it, they're trying to cheat. It sounds like you've <laughs> thoroughly exhausted all possible possibilities in this. <laughs> can probably rule it out. I researched it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> this, does, this does raise a, raise a serious point, though, that 
people seem to think that there is an absolute difference between players, that the best player is always going to beat the lesser player. But that's actually not the case. And that's the whole randomness of sport, that sometimes the team or the, the player who actually is objectively less talented can still beat um, the, the best player in the world. I would have to say, though, there's a lot of different things in chess, though. Um, this idea of a grandmaster title is it doesn't it's, it's a little bit more complicated than we expect. And it's possible to sort of game the system in terms of where you play and uh, mm. what matches are considered qualifying matches. There's a really great article that the New York Times did back in 2021, I believe. Um, yeah. And they sort of follow this 12 year old and the idea that, you know, bef- you know, around the 1950s, not many people were grandmaster ti- had grandmaster titles, but because the um, International Federation of Chess, whoever runs that, I think it's called the FIDE, um, because they wanted to expand into countries that they hadn't, that didn't have a chess um, industry, they relaxed a lot of those rules. So it became really, it became much easier. So you end up having mm. like influx of grandmasters. And so now you have this industry where in countries, where there's not a lot of opportunity, if you have a kid who's slightly good at chess, well, that could actually bring in a lot of money. It could be an income for a family in, say, Crimea or Yugoslavia. Mm. So it's like the it's like the founders' principle in an MLM. Yeah, exactly. Just in a country to. <laughs> yeah. So you have of course, small... of course, we're all experts on chess after watching the Queen's Gambit on uh, Netflix a few years ago. <laughs> well, I'm always sort of interested in you know young child prodigies and how does that work and you know how real are they um but i think there's uh, there are some there's a report today from chess.com about um neil about hans neiman and the idea that he's probably cheated in about a hundred online games so he has admitted to cheating online twice. Not surprising to hear it might have happened more, but he's still only young. He's still 17. I could kind of understand that, you know, in the last few years, going back to him, probably even being preteen, that he might have been enough of an idiot because teenagers tend to be idiots um, of making bad decisions and cheating. Um, mm. And certainly that video that showed his rage, I think, suggested that he's really not a fan of losing. Sometimes it looked like he wasn't a fan of winning either. He got kind of angry, <laughs> I guess, in a happy way, happy, angry when he won. And he got really, really angry when he drew as well. I think drawing isn't a nice thing to do. But I guess I wonder how many of these games they said, you know, there's possible there's a suspicion that he cheated as recently as 2020. So I wonder how many of these games, particularly the ones that had money at stake, were, you know, held online due to the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, once you put the money, if, once it becomes your um, your means of uh, making a living, then I guess that skews things a bit. Certainly, gives you an incentive to cheat. And it's a qualif- and if it's a qualifying match towards you know the grand master title and getting what they call mm. a norm or benchmark, I think you would have people who would be a bit, little bit more angry versus say someone playing you know that you know the chess game that you had on your parents' Windows ninety five desktop back in you know nineties. <laughs> chess master was it? Chess master two thousand was that it? I remember um, a chess program on the Apple II. I think it was called Sagan. Back to butt so Mark, plugs. So, Mark, are you? Are you? Are you? Is he? Is this? Is this? Is his hand sort of a um, folk hero for you? You know, the idea that someone goes to the lengths, relatively sexy lengths, I could say, um, to win a chess match. 
Yeah, I I don't think he went to these lengths. And I mean, to Craig's point earlier of, you know, making an experimental device that might have a greater range, I, for one, would not be too keen to put an experimental electronic device up my butt. Uh, (laughs) It seems like a commercially available butt plug is probably a lot safer option, less likely to electrocute you somewhere where I'm guessing it's going to really hurt, right? If you get electrocuted internally, I'm presuming that's not a nice thing. I mean, there are vibrators out there that, you know, your partner can like program like a pattern and it just buzzes. Based on whatever pattern you're part of. That, that's yes. the, the idea of teledildonics that you yes, mentioned. Yes, teledildonics. <laughs> I love that term. It's been around for a long time. You can tell it's been around for a long time because if somebody came out with a name for it today, it would not be that. It just sounds <laughs> like this was the year 2000 and the internet was still a cool new thing. It's teledildonics. If it came out today, it would be cyberdildonics, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd hope so. Quanta, that sounds much quanta better. Dildonics. Yeah, quantum. <laughs> Quantum cyber teledildonics. <laughs> uh, uh, no, right. IOD, Internet of Dildonics. <laughs> Internet of Dildos, much better. And Mark you won't let us swear back, on the yeah. podcast, yet he can talk about dildos. <laughs> That's not swearing. That's a perfectly legitimate device for sexual pleasure. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, I guess, will be to see how this chess champion performs in future matches because that's the real test isn't it i mean now that he's been accused of cheating um people will be keeping an eye on him more and uh if he continues to perform well then he'll vindicate himself presumably well unless he's consistently cheating (laughs) (laughs) maybe he's perfected it Maybe we'd have to ask Alexander what he knows about grandmaster titles, because I know that little bit. But, um, you know, is, is it once you're a grandmaster, you're always a grandmaster? Well, we will, we will have a chat with him next time we're in the pub about it, which is what this Friday. It is. What hmm. a segue, Mark. Uh, it wasn't meant to be a segue, but, but <laughs> you, you can use it as a segue to your membership corner if you want. Well, no, before we do that, perhaps we should talk about the Auckland revitalization of <laughs> its skeptics in the pub. Yes, you are so proud of that, Craig. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Tell well, us about had, it. We've, we've had we've had two meetings now within a month. Congratulations. So that's that's doing very well. All right, so we had our um our first regular skeptics in the pub last night. Um so we're planning on doing it for the first on the first Tuesday of every month. And we met up at the Dice and Fork. The Dice and Fork, not the <sighs> Dice and Fork. <laughs> <laughs> um Oh, that would be so it great is... in the sphere. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe James Dyson has come up with uh, eating utensils. Um, uh, so that was that's at uh, Victoria Park Market, and uh, we had uh, a grand total of seven people coming along, including myself. But uh, we had good some... start. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a good start. And, uh, on a Tuesday night. We we had three people who were completely new to skeptics. So, um, yes, it was nice to see, and they were relatively young. Although, as I said earlier, anybody is relatively young compared to me. (laughs) But, yes, we will continue doing that. So um, if you would like to come along to Auckland Skeptics in the Pub, the next one will be at the beginning of November, first Tuesday. And so Wellington Skeptics in the Pub is coming up soon. Yeah, it's going to be this Friday at 6 p.m. inside the Intercontinental Hotel at the Lobby Lounge. You know, it's been great. The past few weeks, we've been having 
fans of the podcast show up and it's always been good to, uh, you know, hear what they have to say. We've had some uh, no. interesting backgrounds. Don't say no, Mark. Oh, no, no, that. they're not fat. They're people that listen to the podcast. They're not fans of the podcast. Oh, it just <laughs> uh, creeps me out. <laughs> they're fans of the podcast. <laughs> I like it. Okay. They listen to it. They're a fan, surely. All right. I <laughs> I will just deal with this quietly. Um, we also have um, science-based healthcare activism in the pub happening next Thursday. Um, that's also at six at the Fork and Brewer. So that'll be uh, Mark and uh, Dan Ryan. Yeah, we probably won't actually because I'm I'm on a holiday, so we might cancel it next week. Oh. So don't turn up next week. But I think we should also talk a little bit about the conference, um, 25th to the 27th. Um, we have, we're going to have a social night on the 25th. We'll send out some details about that. But tickets are on sale. Of uh, November, that is. Yeah, of November. Don't show up in two weeks. Time. You won't be there. Um, but we are at the Tararua Tramping Club. And we have, we're starting to build up our speaker list. So that's awesome. But Mark, what's the website that people can go to if they want to buy their tickets? Oh, it's a hard one to remember. It's conference.skeptics.nz. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. And it's extremely good value. It is, $99, you get to attend the conference for the Saturday and Sunday and also be fed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a stretch, but we're we're just going to feed people egg sandwiches. (laughs) We're just going to buy bags of lollies and throw them at people and, you know. (laughs) Oh, how about Soylent? Could we feed everybody Soylent for the weekend? (laughs) Could we get away have with that? A, have you got a recipe for it? I was thinking of the, the board stuff. Aren't there several companies that make this stuff where it's just the oh, same okay. every That's meal? Unusual. I could probably get it at Costco for you. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Auckland's Costco showing off, huh? <laughs> well, I've only actually been inside once, but I've actually been there three times. <laughs> Do they just refuse to let you in for some reason? You, no, you the look queues like the right type. No, the, the queues were too long. Whoa! Yeah, trust me, the uh, allure wears off very wears quickly. Off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Tim, you wrote an article for the newsletter um, last week, Mark's yep. version of the newsletter. So it's called "Engineering of a COVID Origin Conspiracy," and. The basic idea is that um, since Skeptics in the Pub, we're talking about some of the conspiracy theorists in New Zealand. Mark mentioned they're all hosted on a site called GTV, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah, and I it, haven't heard of that either. It was a YouTube alternative created by this exiled Chinese billionaire to host a lot of alternative media and promote his own movement. And it also had on it just happened to be the platform of choice for a lot of conspiracy theorists in New Zealand and elsewhere around the world. And hmm. um, so I got interested and started looking through this group is what they're promoting. One of the things that I kind of found out was that the idea of COVID being a bioweapon is something that they promote very much on their on their platforms. This particular conspiracy originated with um, a woman called uh, Dr. Yan Li Meng, who's a virologist from China. So the basic story is in April 2020, she was brought over from China by this group, and they put her on all these right-wing news outlets. She was in contact with influential Trump people like Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. She's met with senators and Congress people on the right. And so it was kind of this whole 
campaign to promote this idea that that COVID was created in a bioweapons lab in China and that it was deliberately released by the Chinese government on the world to cause this pandemic. And to back it up, like you kind of look at look into who she is and it turns out she is a legitimate virologist. She's a real scientist. She's published in The Lancet and Nature. She also worked in a team that was investigating coronaviruses as well in 2019 and early 2020. So as far as being qualified, she's certainly a qualified expert on coronaviruses. Um, so me having zero qualifications, zero expertise in this area, not really, you know, I, to be honest, I can't really read scientific papers. I, I can only tell a few things. I can look up the names of who wrote them, look at maybe the numbers of people, if it's a study or something involved. If, if it's 12 people, I'll go, well, that seems not that many people. Um, much beyond that, you know, it's it's, mm. it's a skill I don't have, reading scientific papers, right? So as someone without that kind of expertise, how can you assess it? And the, the idea behind the article is, well, you can at least look into the context around where the sorrow where this came from. And it turns out this has a very strong political campaign behind it. The scientific community broadly rejected the paper she published. So she, she published a paper claiming to prove that it was a bioweapon. There was a response from scientists in the field. So at least as a non-expert, you can say, well, it's contentious, right? You can't mm. jump on this one thing that someone said. The paper wasn't peer-reviewed, wasn't sent to any journals. It was just put on a platform called Zenodo, which is for, as I understand, it's like for putting out articles before they're published right? so that they're kind of open and accessible by, um, by the scientists. So essentially, so essentially a, pre, a preprint that. server. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but then she had these influential contacts in, in the Trump administration who hmm. helped promote, like they gave her media training. She went on Tucker Carlson. So that interview got almost 3 million views as well as other platforms she's been on. It's been mentioned on Sky News and other places too. So it's interesting to see how this is something that clearly has force behind it, political force. And I, I kind of don't fully understand why she's decided to do this, if it's just she wanted to leave China and this was a way to do it, or if there are other reasons, that's not totally clear. Mm. But what is clear is it's that- always, It's always hard to uh, analyze some of these motivations, isn't it? Yeah. It's like maybe maybe it was a, an easy ticket out of China and then a, a way to, to get rich, but whether she sort of planned that in advance is hard, hard to say. Yeah, because she flew into LA and was then kind of interrogated by the FBI about because she was claiming asylum, mm. and they deemed her credible and let her stay in in the US. And it's sort of the final point, which is quite useful to have, is that in um, when Joe Biden took over, he requested that the intelligence agencies basically do a, a review of all the intelligence they have on COVID origins and mm. report what their findings are, basically. Do they have reasons to believe? Because the Trump administration kept claiming, oh, yeah, we've got all this evidence that China did this to us. China, you know, <laughs> this is the China virus, it's whatever. And, yeah. but, but they could always say, oh, it's classified. We can't tell you what, what our sources are or whatever. As far mm-hmm. as I could tell, most of the time, a, a lot of it's coming from this particular scientist, considering she met with the Republican Congress people who then would go on to claim we know for certain that this was a, a bioweapon. Yeah. And it certainly sort of plays into their uh, xenophobia. Um, they certainly, uh, even before coronavirus came along, there was that wanting to uh, demonize China and, and put tariffs on yeah. Chinese products and so on. And so that probably played very well into their hands to actually f- conveniently find a scientist who was claiming that 
China did this deliberately mm. um, and engineered the virus in order to somehow attack the rest of the world, although <laughs> certainly China it, uh, suffered from it as well. So it's a, sort of a bit of a weird... It, it also seems a bit like they are trying to shift responsibility for the disaster that was the Trump mm. administration's response to COVID, which was broadly to pretend it's not happening and to try and shut down testing stations and things and just say, you know, yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't a big deal. <laughs> so the the review, the review by the intelligence community came back and basically said there's no evidence whatsoever for um, this being a bioweapon and that it's clear that the Chinese government was totally taken by surprise when this happened, mm. although they're still divided on whether it could have been like an accidental leak from a research laboratory or not. And that's kind of a no one. Yeah. yeah, but that that's a very different thing to it being kind of bioengineered, isn't it? Exactly. And a deliberate release. And one of the points that uh, the scientists who responded to it raised was that, well, actually, we kind of know where these research, quite a lot about these research laboratories, because they have to declare themselves to the UN and get registered and things like that. So there, there are like, it's not impossible, but it seems very unlikely that they would have done this in such secret conditions mm. that then would release on themselves. I'm not sure. What. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it seems implausible that we're at that level of technology where somebody can design a virus in such a way that they know what effects it's going to have um, when it's let out in the wild. Mm. Um, well, they- and especially since we've seen how it's mutated and, and it's been unpredictable in terms of how things are going to play out, whether that could have, been anticipated seems unlikely, or perhaps even even if it was engineered, um, certainly the consequences of 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 what would happen when it was released seem to be impossible to to predict. Yeah, that's one of the things that the Johns Hopkins response also um, talked about was like the timeframes are not realistic for being able to develop something like this and then release it either. So it right. takes a long time to to do that kind of thing. They have to have to do all the testing and perfect to make sure it kills the optimum number yep. of people. And and this this group also would make claims like that China was trying to engineer it to wipe out the white race, and they played into these ideas of like because <laughs> oh, their target audience was like far right people. So it'd be like there's this plan that the Chinese right. government has to eliminate white people, and they're trying to unite the world, and they're developing these viruses to specifically target white people. <laughs> Don't think that's how oh, it geez. works. <laughs> oh my god. Um, uh. So yeah, and she's still like in 2021. She was still meeting with people and promoting the, the her. Yeah. She ended up um, putting out three papers that she claimed proved beyond a complete doubt that um that it's a bioweapon. And so it's still influential with some of these you know mm. crazy right wing Republicans. Indeed, I I don't I don't think that uh, it's possible once you once you got into that sphere of being promoted by those people that you're actually ever going to not have a way of making money out of it. Mm. And it and it even take a life on their own. And so to kind of link it back to New Zealand is that this this um this group that's been promoting this and that's funded this GTV platform and other platforms that have been used were kind of made common cause with some of the conspiracy theorists in New Zealand. Um so Kelvin Alp um from Counterspin Media, who mm-hmm. kind of were big in the uh the parliament protest. Um they I still don't know what the what the exact link is, but they would have flags of this group in the background on their set. And they would have people uh-huh. from this group and talking about it. And they would also make similar claims about COVID being a bioweapon. But then the pro- thing with conspiracy theorists is they'll always make all these contradictory claims. So on the one hand, it's a bioweapon. On the other hand, it's 
just the flu and on another hand it's so i'm not sure how to kind of assess when the extreme hand is. germ theory isn't even real right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like billy no. kaika was promoting it um yeah when he was running for uh to tokoro seat as well so mm. it's yeah it's, conspiracy theories never have to be internally consistent no <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, really interesting, and and I guess it um, sort of it, there's some useful useful thoughts there about how uh, lay people like us who aren't, aren't scientists can can at least have a, an idea about whether something is is true or not. I think sometimes it's a mistake when skeptics try to do a sort of traditional debunking response to something, so they try to go point mm. by point because it's very easy to make a mistake, especially when you're not an expert in that area, and then. If you make one error in some like long list, you know that the person you're talking to is going to dismiss everything else you say. So sometimes I think if you kind of explain more about the context and and focuses on point by point rebuttals, maybe it can be easier to communicate um, to people. Yeah, because yeah. it's a real risk, isn't it, with with skeptics of um, because we we tend to find ourselves thankfully on the right side of arguments. That's what we're trying to do is to figure out what's true and what's not. But there, there's that risk of falling into the the thought pattern of I'm a skeptic, therefore I'm the expert. I can read these things and understand and figure it out. And most of us aren't. Most of us really need to be making sure that we are deferring to the experts, that if anything, we can kind of analyze who are the experts, um, why should we trust them, um, mm. But yeah, I mean, we we certainly don't have twenty years having studied virology or anything else in order to be able to weigh in substantively on these kinds of things. Um, and and sometimes when you see skeptics that do, you feel like they're just stretching a little bit further mm. than is warranted, and it's it can be a little bit embarrassing at times when skeptics seem to act like they know everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So I guess that kind of segues into um, something that one of our members uh, sent us, um, and they pointed out that um, they saw a sponsored ad on stuff that was talking about a product that was being marketed by Fonterra. So Fonterra is our big uh, milk company in New Zealand. Uh, and there's this product called BioCode Lab by Fonterra, which claims to be a 21st century solution to brain performance. They're, they're basically selling this product, which as far as I can tell, is somehow based on milk powder and somehow changes the brain so it's less susceptible to the effects of blue light. So to me, uh, this sounds very implausible, but but as I just said, I'm a skeptic, but I don't know anything about milk powder or anything like that. So how can I possibly know whether this thing is uh, is viable or not? It does sound like bullshit, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, read it reading the stuff article, yes. The thing that sort of initially tipped me off was... Um, What's his name? McGinnis, Carl McGinnis. And his title is um, Director of Sales and Marketing Disruption. I'm like, God, that sounds like a really unusual job title for Fonterra to have. But it is. It's a real job title. And he has been um, profiled in legitimate articles on the Stuff website regarding Fonterra's use of VR as a way to sort of um, figure out how they can, you know, advertise or manipulate manipulate the um, layout of a shop to encourage customers to buy Fonterra products. But this product, I'm still not sure. So the blue light filter, so 
it says basically that they're making a range of products that have blue light filters. So this is not that the products themselves filter blue light. This is because I think it is, isn't it? it well, but so at the same time, they're saying called- that basically when you take them, it means that you will filter out blue light that's going yeah. into your eyes, which is like, well, how the hell does it do that? Is, is this is this pill when you swallow it or is this powder when you use it going to your eyeballs or do you just rub it straight in your eyes to block oh. the blue light? Oh, my God. I'd won- I wonder. I mean, um, <laughs> well, it would do that, app- wouldn't it? It brought a lot of light coming into your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, would. What would be the application <laughs> for people with Erlen syndrome? <laughs> oh, so milk tinted spectacles, we're thinking, <laughs> might work well. well no, like um, you, just have the, you just have these supplements and, it, you know, pertaining to the color that you need to have your lenses and the words that pop out to me straight away are things like support so the bio code lab range aims to support modern day brain performance now support is what we well know people use when they want to say something but be able to claim that they didn't say it when i put a complaint into the advertising standards authority (laughs) about them they can go no we use the word support it doesn't mean it actually does it so that was one there's also what have they got three different varieties that they're making where are those oh focus calm and probiotic Again, like probiotic by itself is a warning bell because we, we know as skeptics that a lot yeah. of probiotics don't work. You need to be taking a whole lot of probiotics before any of it makes it to your gut normally. But then the idea of focus and calm, the idea that by filtering the amount of blue light going through your eyeballs, that you can either filter enough that you can focus or enough that you can calm. It, it just seems so implausible. This is, and I think the way they're testing it is, I, I'm not sure there's even any plausibility behind it. I think they're just doing a, what are they, tracking more than 300 modern athletes who are taking the supplements and testing their progress. It doesn't mention anything about anybody taking a placebo or anything like that. I think they're just shoving this product at a bunch of athletes. And if the athletes get any better, which athletes tend to do when they train, um, then, whoa, our product must work. And I'm well, I'm very worried there's, about this. There's just the effect of if you give somebody something and observe them, then there is that effect. The observing effect is going to produce some sort of result. <laughs> Yeah, even not that. I think with most athletes, you know, at least for the first however many years of their career, they tend to get better over that career. And then eventually Mm. they get old enough that there's some decline. But I I think you'll probably find that any given batch of athletes, you will see a tendency to get better among those athletes and giving them a supplement, watching them get better, which would have happened anyway, and then claiming it was your supplement is disingenuous at least. I mean, I'm looking. At, I'm looking at this website, and this is not cheap. You're looking at about forty to like fifty to sixty bucks to purchase yeah. these. Well, yeah, to purchase these one off, or you can get a subscription, which I think is really going to be the money maker, and that's what that's going to be about fifty fifty one. 61 bucks. Yeah, I, I, I think this is Fonterra moving into the territory of much less reputable companies that sell these sorts of supplements, <laughs> and they're trying to get into this. Um, getting people hooked on thinking they need the supplement in order to perform well at their job and and so on and yeah, it's pretty scummy behaviour I think from a from a major corporate in New Zealand to be selling this and pushing this sort of stuff that seems a lot like pseudoscience. And you're looking when you look at the nutritional nutrition and ingredient data, you don't really get a sense of you know okay, you get the amounts, but you know how much is that should you be having a day as you know a regular RDI. And mm. 
you know, secondly, we need someone to look at these ingredients and be like, you actually can get all of this through like an orange or, you know, a normal diet. You don't need the supplement, you know, having yeah. a diet. And, it's, and it has buttermilk. So again, if you are dairy free, you can't have this. So just taking a step back, I remembered an article I wrote early last year about some claims that had come out at the time about blue light. And I looked into it at the time and it turns out that this whole idea that blue light is a problem, that it's affecting your circadian rhythm, there's not really any good evidence that this is even a thing. It does not seem to be an epidemic that us modern people in front of screens all day are even suffering from. So I found a couple of really good quotes, one from the International Commission on Illumination and one from the European Commission. So Were the ICI... Illuminating quotes, Matt? <sighs> Oh, that was no, no, stop doing that. That's awful. Stop it. Anyway, I will get back to my quotes. <laughs> the ICI considers that the blue light hazard is not an issue for white light sources used in general lighting, even for those that are blue enriched. The term blue light hazard should not be used when referring to circadian rhythm disruption or sleep disturbance. And the European Commission said there is no evidence that the general public is at risk of direct adverse health effects from LEDs when the lights are in normal use. And I went on to do more reading and I found that there are issues with blue light. Um, but it turns out that these are things like arc welders. People who use arc welders a lot are at risk of causing themselves problems from the amount of blue light that they are um, getting. And, and for those people, there are goggles that will help them with that kind of thing. But outside of that, it appears that basically there is no good evidence that blue light is an issue that's keeping us up late at night, stopping us from being able to sleep. So I think it's a non-problem in the first place, but unsurprising that there are unscrupulous companies now, including Fonterra, who are willing to try and cash in on this scaremongering of blue light being a modern problem um, to make a quick buck. It's horrible. Yeah, and, and it certainly seems to have got the reputation that it's a bad thing because you see built into phones and operating systems that they have these modes where at a particular time of the day they reduce the amount of blue light that's emitted from the screen. Yep, and from everything I can tell, this is not this is not a thing that we are suffering from. This is not something where GPs are finding that this is an issue and that <laughs> prescribing less blue light is uh, is fixing it. Um, but I, I think there's a ten wearing their rose-colored glasses around. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what color do they need to be to block out blue light? Is that just blue glasses? Rose, rose-colored, probably. Or rose. Okay, so it's the red. <laughs> you let in the red, but not the blue, huh? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it would be really good if we actually got somebody who knew what they were talking about to have a look at this product and give us an assessment <laughs> and say, yes. well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What is it they're even claiming? You know, there, there's a couple of things that it looks like they're putting in this product or that they're trying to maximize in this product. Um, a couple of ingredients. So they say vitamin C, riboflavin, vitamin B6 mm. is basically it by the looks of things. So it, it looks like it's just a milk powder. Um, but yeah, what is it about these? What's the mechanism they're even claiming by which this would reduce the amount of blue light that you're from what I can tell, I think they're talking about absorbing through the eyes. I think that's where they're going with this. Yeah, that does. So they talk about macular health. So somehow their supplements are going to improve the health of your eyes. Um, and then there are these 
components of these supplements that supposedly let your eyes block out blue light um, better, which we've just proved is not a good thing to do anyway. So yeah, if, if we could find someone that knew the biology, that would be kind of yeah. nice. We'll we'll have to think about who we can talk to because yeah, at first blush, this doesn't look good. This looks this looks no, and horrible. The, the website looks like a typical pseudoscience product marketing website that uses lots of buzzwords to confuse the average consumer into thinking this is this is a worthwhile product that they should I, be buying I, I wonder though if you know is there something happening in the Pontera production line that they end up having all this excess product that they need to do with and this is just something hmm. that they come up with to um you know profit off of waste, waste. Yeah. so you think this is what's left over from skimmed milk and now they're putting it in a a box or a tub and selling it for 60 bucks a pop. Well, we see, you know, this is what they do with leftover cheese in the US. If they don't put it in the cheese caves, then you do see an uptick in marketing of like cheese products, like your stuffed crust pizzas and double <laughs> cheese, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, there is a program to try to move all this excess product. And I, I love the idea of cheese caves. It, it, it just tickles me that one. Yeah. <laughs> but they exist. <laughs> Please, everybody, go and look up cheese caves. It is a real thing. That's a new concept to me. Oh, my. You are behind the times of this glorious, glorious ah. Utopia that already exists. Right. You're planet. discovering that now? Yeah. Turns out the U.S. has an emergency supply of cheese. Oh, oh wow. Well, I mean, oh, you know, it's going to be this. It's a standard for rations. You know, everyone gets a bit of cheese. It's your hard dairy. So uh, what else are we going to talk about? I think that might be it. You want more topics? You're getting greedy these days. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just checking whether there was anything we've missed out. But um, I, I did learn about an interesting fact uh, this evening that the UK singer Craig David, um, who's had many more, many more albums than I would have thought he had had, had eight albums, um, is now claiming to be um, clairvoyant and clairaudient and psychic and can predict the future. Is he, audience. is he ascribing this to any particular belief? Like, did he just join theosophy or? I think from, from I mean, I've only read about this through kind of go, a gossip web, website, which uh, initially blocked me from actually being able to see it because I was outside the UK, but I was a little bit of um, developer tools magic. I managed to pull things off so I could actually read the article. And it appears that he he says he's sort of been in the closet a bit about it. Uh, he's had this to this. <laughs> uh, How many closets these... are there? So there's a gay closet, a psychic closet, <laughs> psychic, and a clear audience, <laughs> a clairvoyant closet. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously you know it's an embarrassing thing. Um, but yes, maybe maybe once he finishes his um, music career, he's going to move on to. Uh, reading tea leaves or whatever they do to uh, predict the future. So Claire Audient is a fairly specific one. It's not one that I think many psychics really talk about. It, I just can't help but think that maybe something's going on with his brain chemistry. If he's hearing well, voices. The, no, no. The interesting, well, the thing that I read was the Claire Audience says that he gets this buzzing in his ears. Now, to me, that could well be a symptom of being a musician and performing at concerts and yes, having tinnitus. tinnitus. <laughs> Having tinnitus, so yeah. yes, and 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 it's tinnitus, not tinnitus. I am told oh, because it's not an itis because it's not an inflammation. 
<laughs> okay, that's really good news. I've always said tinnitus, but I've never bothered to check whether I'm saying it the right way, and I keep hearing it both ways. So, knowing I, I, that it's I, tinnitus, I, I wonder if the TV show Archer is very is very much inspires um the tinnitus. <laughs> tinnitus. <laughs> what? Why? Why? What's well, Archer? He, he he, uh, Archer. It's a, it's an animated adult show of this guy who's kind of you know he's meant to be James Bond, but you know he works for an absolute trash fire of a spy agency yeah i know that much and he constantly complains ah okay many times there's an explosion it's it's kind of where the quote is quote of um, if you want ants that's how you get ants that's where it comes from right quite a quotable show so tim this actually brings me quickly around we might as well talk about this while we're talking about archer the guy from archer you recommended an album he'd made oh yeah john i listened to it today i like it it's actually good (laughs) thought you would so it's what's it called well i really should have dot 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 and then the subtitle is learn to play the piano (laughs) hang on is this a serious bit of music or it's not serious music but it it is music. So he's got a jazz band and he tries to play along with a piano, but he doesn't know how to play piano. Um, <laughs> well, if you're playing jazz, that doesn't actually uh, cause you too many problems. <laughs> no, well, this is it. I think it works better with jazz than it would do with many genres, but it's still obvious he can't play. But it's kind of nice. Um, so Tim at last Friday's Skeptics in Cyberspace recommended a couple of artists, one of which was the guy who voices Archer, this uh jazz thingy and the other one was a band i'm surprised i'd never heard of the shags who um, were a group of reluctant daughters back in the late 60s whose dad (laughs) made them learn to play instruments and play but they really didn't know what music was meant to sound like and they just kind of fudged it and it's fascinating it's i'm really enjoying a couple of the tracks on it but it's it's not good music in the standard sense it's interesting music yeah um and so today i went having listened to these two i went on a little bit of an explore and i've now found i think what might be my new favorite genre which is japan noise and i'm really (laughs) enjoying it japan noise okay okay well so just to round out the craig david thing uh, i certainly i had a re had a re-listen to um some of his tracks and I cannot recommend them. He, he initially came out in the late nineties where auto tuned voices were all the rage. Well, he, he, oh, <laughs> so you can tell. Yeah. He, well, he did that collab with sting. Oh, Which did he collab with yeah, sting? Yeah. They did it. Yeah. He did a duet. They did, we did, um, shape, um, shape of my heart. Okay. You know, the, what the poker song, um, or stings. Poker I'll song. have to look that up. Um, no, I'm saying rise and fall. Is that the one? Yeah. I am not going to listen to that. That looks like it's probably going to be horrible. <sighs> okay, right. well, I'll have to have a listen to Japan noise then, will I? Do it. Um, hang on a second. There's one artist that I listened to today that's really good, um, and I can highly recommend. Give me one second. And for our listeners as well, honestly, it's really, really good. Merzbo, M-E-R-Z-B-O-W. Um, I was just blown away by this today. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing music. I'm really, I'm really great. enjoying it. It, it. it feels like I finally found the genre that's me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whether that's a recommendation or not, I'm not sure. But 
Possibly not. But yeah, everybody go and listen to Merzbo. I'm sure you can find something on YouTube, but it's it's very enjoyable music. Can we get a Merzbo band for um, uh, the or a J- Japan Noise Band? I don't know. It's a lot of electronic equipment needed. Maybe. Right. Maybe I could fudge it. I've, I've done a little bit of circuit bending before, <laughs> just kind of rewiring um, uh, electric keyboards with lots right. of feedback. The older, the better, basically, with those things. But you can you can rewire them in ways that you get feedback loops that make really interesting noises. Done. You could okay. always be the H. John Benjamin of Japan noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be hard to actually be the H. John yeah. Benjamin of Japan noise because all of it sounds like people that might not actually know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Niches go deep on the internet, Mark. They do. Maybe someone will want to listen to my music. <laughs> All right. So we, I think we're done. Yeah, yeah. finally. Yeah. Right. Okay. Very good. So you have been listening to the Yena podcast. Um, if you'd like to give us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. I think you can send us a, an email to news at at skeptics.nz. Uh, we would love you to book your tickets to the conference. It's going to be a fun conference. Come and meet up with all your skeptical pals. Even if you're not a fan of the podcast, you just listen to it under duress. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, we will see you all next time. Bye. See ya. Sayonara. Bye. Bye.